And now, our feature presentation. I like it spooky. Hey everybody, welcome to the I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast. I'm Brian. I am Clint, and since I, or this show, hasn't presented any news lately, let's get to some. Ooh, some news? So my news this episode is Jaws gets an epic official pinball machine from Stern Pinball. And this is from our friends over at Blood or Disgusting. So like a month ago, two months ago, um, Spooky Pinball turned uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre into an official pinball machine. And now we're getting one from Stern Pinball of Jaws. And if you go over to Blood or Disgusting, I'll share the link so everybody can look at this article. They have a picture of the pinball machine, and it looks pretty cool. I saw the article. I haven't read it, but I saw in the picture where, like, Bruce, the shark, you know, is kind of jumping up in the middle. I'm assuming you got to get the ball in the mouth, or if you do, then maybe you lose it or something. I'm curious, though. You said this is Stern. Yeah. See, because Spooky Pinball puts out some great stuff. They put out the Halloween one. Yeah, they just put out the Texas Chainsaw Massacre one. They've done others. I don't see them stopping anytime soon. It's all stellar. Brian, you had a chance when you and Jack, back in 2023, went to that place in Chicago. I forget. What was that place called? Do you remember? Ghoulish Mortals in St. Charles, Illinois, and it's right on the main street downtown. Yeah, Ghoulish Mortals, and that was like a kind of a horror variety retail shop. But they had that pinball machine game there which i think you said you could play for free right yeah they had four different pinball machines and they may have changed now it's been a while since i've been up there but they had godzilla halloween stranger things and there was one other one i can't remember what that one was was it the monsters it might have been the monsters but now the place where we had the get together before the severin films double showing they have pinball machines there Artisan Ales there? Yeah, at the Reserve Artisan Ales. They have uh, three, last time I checked, and Godzilla's one of them, and then they had a Black Sabbath, maybe? Ooh. or a Ru- I think it was Rush, actually. It wasn't Black Sabbath. So not nearly as cool. Yeah, I mean, but... And then they have a Venom one. They're all Stern pinball machines, because I downloaded the app. So the Jaws one may come there eventually. The reason I bring up the difference between the two is Spooky Pinball puts out a lot of cool stuff. But what I don't necessarily care for about them is you have to be able... You have to, like, pay a fee to be a member of their club to be able to purchase anything. So I was like, wait a minute, I have to pay you money to be able to pay you money to buy something. And, you know, with me doing all this stuff, I keep calling it the nugget and stagecoach because that's what it's known for is I will be getting some pinball machines and some various entertainment stuff for there also. But I'm like, man, now I got to I gotta pay to pay. So I wonder if Stern is the same who's making this Jaws game or if you can just get online and order. Well, let's see. The Pro Edition is 7000 Premium Edition is uh, 9700 and the Limited Edition is 13000 Yeah, this stuff's never cheap. And that's why I say since your average cost is seven to nine grand for a pinball machine, it sucks that I got to pay you to be able to pay you that money. I think that happened a lot with COVID. There's a couple, I kind of do baseball cards on the side. I dabble in it a little bit, not nearly as much as I used to, but there's a couple grading services now that you have to be a member and pay yearly fee. Then you could submit, pay to have your cards graded. And it's like, come on now. Well, and you you see that with um, 
Adobe anymore. A lot of people are shying away from Adobe as far as Photoshop or video editing with Premiere Pro or anything like that, because it's not just that you pay the ridiculous amount of money one time for the the disc and the program. You got to pay the yearly subscription. The economy is rough right now and not everybody has money to be thrown around. So I think eventually that'll go to the wayside unless the economy gets super good. But there's a, yeah, there's a video on this article where you can look and watch the official trailer for the game. So I know what I'll be watching after we get done recording. So I want to see what it's like. I'm going to check it out too later tonight. But well, you know, one thing that you don't have to pay for, you don't have to to subscribe to, to be a part of is the I Like a Spooky Horror podcast. Yeah, it's free. It is free. It is a labor of love because we love all of you. All right. My news also comes from bloodydisgusting.com and is about a second Mickey Mouse horror movie that's been announced, Steamboat Willie. Now, when I say second, that's because there's some other projects that have come about as of recent that are going to be starring Mickey Mouse, and it's all horror. So I guess uh, this one in particular, the short film that introduced Mickey Mouse to the world, 1928's Steamboat Willie, entered the public domain on January 1st of this year, and uh, a handful of Mickey Mouse-themed horror projects have already been announced. Uh, There's an upcoming video game, Infestation 88, that will feature a monstrous version of Mickey, while a horror movie, Mickey's Mouse Trap, is also coming soon. And now we get this. It's in kind of the same vein as, you know, we've gotten the the Winnie the Pooh thing and the slew of fairy tales turned horror retellings late in uh, last year in 2023. So I don't know what you think, but I'm interested to see a gory Mickey Mouse kill people. I've read a lot of articles where people are saying that Disney is going to put a stop to pretty much all of this. Because Mickey Mouse is not public domain. Steamboat Willie is public domain. Mm -hmm. And in the Steamboat Willie short, he had a hat on the whole time. So if you put anything without like a hat in it in your movie, they're going to say that's not public domain. That's Mickey Mouse. That's not Steamboat Willie. In this article that I'm talking about, a representative from Disney said in a statement, quote, more modern versions of Mickey will remain unaffected by the expiration of the Steamboat Willie copyright, and Mickey will continue to play a leading role as a global ambassador for the Walt Disney Corporation in our storytelling, theme park attractions, and merchandise. It says, we will, of course, continue to protect our rights in the modern versions of Mickey Mouse and other works that remain subject to copyright. So basically, it sounds like it's fair game. And... I don't know. It's 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 a really weird gray area, but it's fun, isn't it? Because Mickey, especially the early versions of Mickey, Steamboat Willie, and many and Mickey after that, throughout the I don't know, forties and fifties, were kind of creepy to begin with. Yeah, it'll be interesting. A lot of people, like I said, are saying that they're gonna try to squash as much as they can. But you know, like Pooh, Blood and Honey came out, but that was a book before it was a cartoon, so it they couldn't be as strict on that because they're like, well, who owns it? You know, the the guy that wrote the book's dead. Like, do they own the rights? This is pretty cut and dry. Disney owns the rights to Mickey Mouse. So it'll be interesting to see what's allowed to come out, what isn't, and how good is it going to be? I mean, I don't feel like a studio's jumping on Steamboat Willie. It's going to be like independence. and It'll all be independent. Yeah, Warner Brothers or something or, you know, Fox or, well, I guess, wait. Those are both owned by Disney. There are no studios because all the studios are owned by Disney. (laughs) Yeah, there's nobody to be like, oh, we're going to put something out. Maybe 
I mean, how weird would it be if Disney's like, fuck it, let's just make a horror Mickey Mouse movie? You know, they should. Because think about it. I, I don't know. I was more a PBS kid than a Disney kid. But my kids, I we were kind of both when they were little. There were a lot of modern Mickey Mouse stuff. And the horror stuff, the Halloween stuff was always way better than the rest of it. Or they came out with the Mickey shorts all back in like, I don't know, 2013 maybe even earlier, like 2010, and they were the the Mickey vignette shorts, and they were animated, but they had that old school kind of vibe to them, and it was almost kind of like Bendy and the Ink Machine animation, and there was a lot of scary elements, and those were the best ones. So yeah, Disney should just say, fuck it, instead of trying to protect and guard, just come out with their own and blow it out of the water. Fuck, they got the money to do it. Oh yeah, and if even if it's not good, people will watch it and love it. Because it's different, and they're stepping outside of their normal realm. One of my favorites is A Christmas Carol, The Muppet Christmas Carol. I mean, it's not horror, but at the same time, it kind of is. It's still fun enough that it's not, you know, over-the-top, scary, bloody, gory. But it has those underlying horror tones, kind of like the movie we're going to discuss here in a little bit. Not necessarily a horror movie, but it has those underlying horror tones. Like like I say, Disney's got the money to do it, so they should. Uh, I don't have the money to do it, so, I mean, I can't do it. Can you do it? No, no. Uh, you know, the holidays just hit Boots birthday. She turns 13. That just hit. I'm fucking poor. On this episode of why are we so poor? I got a Christmas gift. I got one of these. You can't see it. Yeah, it's a Mars Attacks snow globe. No, it plays music. Well, he plays music. And he's got little stars instead of snow. But it doesn't light up, which is weird. It is weird. I could see why they didn't sell a lot of these at Spirit Halloween. It's actually kind of cool. I like the detail. I like the look of it. But yeah, the the bells and whistles that it's lacking are kind of like... It'd help if I turned it to that. It's just lacking the yeah, yeah, and some light up. But yeah, the the colors are beautiful, and the you know the sculpt's pretty cool on the alien head. And oh, very detailed. Yeah, Tiffany's dad got that for me. It looks like something you find it. You went back to Bath and Body Works, and we're like, you know, I found this cool chalice. I'm gonna see if I can find this. So I got to cut into your segment here because so the last time we've done a wire we pour. Brian was talking, I think it was the last time, Brian was talking about going to Bath and Body Works and he found the chalice a few episodes back. And uh, since then, because it was Christmas time, I went to Bath and Body Works. I sent Brian a picture. I said, I'm at Bath and Body Works. I found lotions. I found candles. I did not find the chalice. I found a shit ton of people and a lot of the same products. I don't suffer from anxiety attacks, but I was very overwhelmed in that store and just had to run out of there with my hands in the air, fucking screaming. They offered you a basket? No, I got the whole shebang. So I walked in and <laughs> there was a lady working there and she was kind of like right inside the front door and you could tell she was kind of new and a little nervous. And so she was like verbatim reading me the entire like, if you get this, you can get this. And our deal of the month is, and I felt so bad for her, I just sat there and usually I kind of brush that shit off, but I just sat there and listened and thank you. Oh my God, I didn't know that. And it was fucking horrifying. I will never go back to Bath and Body Works. Next, a gift from somebody and a gift for myself. So Godzilla minus one is hard to find stuff. The posters are going for like a couple hundred bucks, but I was able to pick these up off eBay. 
like some lobby cards or just some promotional posters from Japan that are double sided for 10 bucks. I think free shipping. And the guy said, oh, they'll take like two to three weeks to get to you. They were here in like five days. Just a little like eight by 10 pieces of paper. They have like all the artwork on it. I love the artwork on the second one you're showing there. It's got the kind of monstrous font G and then inside of it is Godzilla and like the image contained with inside the G. It's the same on the back. So it's just double sided. But two for 10 bucks. I was like, well, what's cool about that stuff is, you know, as far as being a collector and holding value, people 10 years from now, 20 years from now, the value of that is going to be ridiculous. And yeah, when that stuff comes out, it's like when uh, when I went and saw Smile, when Boots and I went and saw Smile back in 2023, and they had, or when we saw Scream 6 and they had the free posters right there, grab that shit because it is cool, it's limited, and it's going to be worth some money someday. Yeah, and those are from Japan, so even better. Because there was nothing here in the United States that I could find Godzilla that wasn't already crazy expensive. What else? Oh, picked up Horror Hound. This is a couple months old, but I just like it because it has Black Sabbath on the front. And we had covered Black Sabbath. We covered a movie that Horror Hound covered and put on the front of their magazine. Great minds thinking like. Yeah, it all came out about the same time. The only thing that cover doesn't have is, as discussed on the I Like a Spooky Horror podcast. Maybe someday. And then this box has been sitting over here unopened for a month from Terror Vision. Uh-oh, it's getting opened right now. This is an exclusive. Pins and needles, bated breath. What's in the box? What's in the box? Thank you for support. Oh, they got a new, uh, new cards that says who packaged your thing. Fancy. New releases. My creep coin, you get creep coins. You save 100 coins and you get to go to their scare fest. They're going to be at scare fest? No, they have a fright fest, sorry. Two tickets to our annual fright fest in Savannah, Georgia. Full VIP package, posters, t-shirt, backstage access. If you collect 100 of these, you get... Well, you better start saving some and get enough for me because the devil here, the devil here has been wanting to get down to Georgia, so let's go. down to Georgia, he was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind and he was willing to make a deal. Well, you get two tickets. And this is just my December member thing. I just never opened it. Hell's Highway. Killer. Without a soul, you can't get to heaven, but you can't get to hell either. Lost in the 80s. Joe Zazzo collection. Ooh, that looks fun. It's only a movie. Scream book. Scream book to the next issue. And whatever the hell the name of that movie is. and america's deadliest home videos that looks kind of interesting too that the sequel to america's funniest home videos exactly (laughs) it's the bob saget stand-up when he was like i suck dick for crack and a piece of candy i should have probably got that out of there before a month and a half and i did sign up for a a vinegar syndrome subscription so you get another year of me checking out stuff from vinegar syndrome more of that to come and i'm gonna eat this candy Oh, God, he's going to die. Here's another exclusive. He's going to turn blue or green and just pass out. That's okay. Um, I, I can talk for the both of us. So, What'd you get, anything? I did, but I'm going to lead into this. This will rattle some people and maybe cause some interest. He just said that he subscribed to vinegar, vinegar Syndrome, so you have another year of him talking about Vinegar Syndrome stuff. You might not have another year of me talking about collectibles. I am actually gearing up 
to potentially sell off the collection. <gasps> bum, bum, bum. I love collecting. I love this segment of the show. I'll never stop doing it because I'm never going to stop going to conventions. I'm never going to stop picking up new cool stuff. But there are some things that I want to do in life. And I'm like, you know, I've got all this great stuff. I enjoy it immensely, but it just sits in my basement. I look at it a few times a week when I'm down there feeding the fish or whatever. What's the point? I've got a lot of really cool, great things on the horizon that I want to invest in and make happen. So stay tuned. With that said, I've added to the potential sale list because a while back, Trick or Treat Studios um, put out a Farmer Vincent from Motel Hell. They've come out with their Scream Great line, which has got a lot of cool stuff. It's got Killer Clowns from Outer Space. There's some Michael Myers stuff, which to me, the Michael Myers figures always look the same regardless where they come out of. Um, well, Killer Clowns kind of look the same too, really, but they're colorful and fun. I've never seen a Motel Hell action figure. Pre-ordered it a while ago. It finally showed up. It is amazing. It's detailed. I love Trick or Treat Studios Scream Great lines packaging. It's got some weight to it. So when it's kind of heavy and detailed, you feel like you got some value. It's not some cheap knockoff thing. So uh, hop over to Trick or Treat Studios and see if they have any Farmer Vincents left. If not, like I said, I might have one for sale if you really, really want it. It's sold out. Is it? Did you look? Oh, yeah. I've looked a couple times unless they've restocked it. But yeah, every time I've looked, it's been sold out. You know, I still pay attention to all that stuff. But Brian, just before we sat down to record, I sent you a picture of some post I came across about the black phone, the full grabber mask, and then the two half masks boxed in a trick-or-treat studio like this is something they offered i didn't even know that fucking existed i think i stumbled across it a couple times but i was like where am i gonna put it what am i gonna do with it if i would have known that existed i would have immediately snagged that up for the uh, collection and then hoped to get an autograph you know i don't know if ethan hawk's going to be doing any convention but everybody else seems to be doing appearances so so that's something i'm going to look into also and if anybody out there has one and is willing to get rid of it for a reasonable price let me know it can add to the value of my overall collection. For Christmas, I finally got, I still haven't seen it on shelves, even back when Jason was on the show, we had been talking about it. NECA put out the the dog from The Thing, and it's a, a good size package. If you decided to open it up and play with it, it has multiple options for you can pose the dog as different stages of when it got infested or overtaken by the alien. You know, that was a great gory special effects scene in the movie and I've got it. It's in a box and it's beautiful. Thank you, NECA. Thank you, Christmas people. The Christmas gods shined on me. So the why are we poor segment in 2024 is going to be a downsized version, maybe. No, it's just going to go in from why it's going to go. Why is Brian poor and why is Clint rich? That's what it's going to be like. Yeah. But I, I kind of like you, I haven't, I'm not going to stop collecting, but I'm like saying to myself, I'm going to slow down on some records. I'm going to slow down on collectibles. Kind of like the decision I made a couple, what, two years ago to like, not just buy every poster. I'm going to try to do the room in Joe Bob and the last drive in and return of living dead, you know, kind of like pick a lane and try to stay in it. So I'm not buying everything, you know, and I've even been a couple places and was like, do I really need this movie? You know, I just spent $850 on a vinegar syndrome subscription. Do I really need this movie when I'm going to be getting movies from them every month? Well, and a lot of times you, you come across and you'll buy of the same movie you already have. So I can see what you're saying. You're like, do I really need this? I have it on Blu-ray. I have it on this. You're still carrying the flag of that physical media collector, but do you need the beta version of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Do you need the LaserDisc version of the Chainsaw Massacre? Yeah, I'm never going to stop collecting either, but it is hard because um, just before Christmas time, it was around the last time. In fact, I covered it. It was one of the last things I covered on Spill the Guts 
before I've taken a break from that. And it was NECA put out a limited Peter Weller, um, Al, or it was Alex Murphy, yeah, Murphy action figure from RoboCop. And it was kind of like the Tom Atkins one that came out where it included an autograph within the, the packaging and, from Peter Weller. And I was like, I want that. And then I just stopped. I was like, no, I really want it, but but no. Was that the one where he had his... Yeah, his hands all blown off and, yep, Clarence Boddicker blew his hand off. Those are the hardest ones to say no to because you get a lot of him. You know, you get a lot of RoboCop, but you don't get a lot of that version of it. I struggled over that one just for that reason. But I know for a fact that even when I do sell my collection, I'm going to make sure it's going to go to a good home. I'm also going to take that money and invest in some things I've got going on that are more important. They're just more important, but I also know are going to eventually lead me to a path to where I can track down a lot of the stuff that I got rid of and I can have it once again. New year, new year, new rules. Skip the gym, skip the diet, just sell your shit. No, I've been doing that too. This is, yeah, it's a whole new Clint. Pretty wild. So um, one thing is, is that I'm not selling this because I don't have any money, but I still really don't have any money. So I don't know. You want to take it to a sponsor? Get some cash? Cash is king. You like blood? You like scary stuff? You like gumballs? Well, get on over to Ted's Marvelous Custom Gumball Emporium, where their selection of horror and pop culture-themed toy, candy, and gumball machines are as big as their name. You can find Ted's Marvelous Custom Gumball Emporium on Facebook and Instagram. Ted's Marvelous Custom Gumball Emporium will also be featured at other horror and pop culture conventions around the country. Ted's Marvelous Custom Gumball Emporium. We dare you to say it ten times real fast. So now that we've heard from our sponsor, in the 50th year of Troma, is this second episode... Yeah, the second episode this year. We're in 2024, so this is the 51st year of trauma. I think so. If it was their 50th anniversary this year or last year? I think it was last year. They've been around a long time. Hell yeah. So for the second episode of 2024 for us, in our third year? God, we got a long way to go catch up with them. Shit. That's a lot of math and a whole lot of numbers. I'm so confused. We're covering the 1984 kind of horror movie. It's categorized as a comedy horror mystery. Noir. Is that how you say that? Film noir. Yeah. Kinda. From 1984. Screenplay. A trauma production? They um, presented it. Kaufman and... Um, Hertzman, Hertzman. Oh my God. They produced it. Yeah. Screenplay. I mean, although it's got trauma's thumbprints all over it, it is not your typical trauma film. Kind of think Clerks, if Clerks was made by trauma in 1984. Was some murder in it? Was there murder in Clerks? I don't remember. Well, there was a, the guy died masturbating, didn't he? Oh, is that necromantic? Clerks? Eight degrees of separation. <laughs> you're, you're stretching here. So back to screenplay. No, I do. I think screenplay's kind of got that clerk's that clerk's vibe, but not just because. So screenplay is a black and white film, um, but just it's also um, 
it's loaded with like the green screen backgrounds and like the animated static backdrops throughout that give it kind of that surreal and sat satirical satrical energy but much like that part doesn't really tie into clerks but um it was very theatrical in his present in his pre- uh, presentation i can't talk today <laughs> it was very it was overacted but that was his intention and it was very well done you know i mean it comes complete with even three stooges slapstick elements it's always serious though they play it always serious right like i didn't feel like at any point it was trying to be a comedy no, if anything, it seemed to me like it was more of a stage play. Um, I know I'm getting off the, the path of horror here, but it reminded me of, a, I don't know if you've ever seen Noises Off, Brian? No. Noises Off is a comedy. Great film. I love that movie. It's actually a movie about a play, and it started in real life as a play. You know, So I don't think that Scream play started out as a, a theater production, but it, it plays like that. But you know, you're right. It doesn't try to be funny. It kind of reminds me of um, Return of the Living Dead as far as it wasn't trying to be funny. It just was because it was. Yeah, and I caught myself a couple times throughout the movie laughing out loud. But I'm like, should I be laughing? Or do they want me to laugh? Yeah, it's definitely not a normal trauma movie. But I almost feel like it is because it kind of reminded me of Bloodhook and Blades, where they play very serious. Neither of those movies, I feel like, are trying to be funny. Or maybe they are, but it, they play it serious, the whole movie. So it reminded me of that same vein of those movies. And this is why trauma has been around for 51 years or 50 years, because they found these movies like this and they put them out. One of the things that had trauma's thumbprints all over it was, for example, early on in the film, there is, uh, and this was in 84, but there was uh, a cross-dressing man wearing roller skates, rolls into the bathroom, tries to stick up the our, our lead, who is a, a screenwriter new to Hollywood, and he gets killed. And it was, his neck gets twisted, and it was just very trauma. And one of the things that trauma's always been able to do is they've been able to take stereotypes and present them just as that. And it's never been in like an offensive way. Like, you know, with all the the political chaos and everybody of today, I don't think anybody would watch that movie, watch this movie and be offended by that scene. All the characters in this were very strong. They were very, uh, what's I just said, stereotypical characters. Yeah, it's interesting how a movie like this would have such a good cast. I didn't feel like there was one character that was bad. No, and it was extremely well acted by all parties involved. There was even um, the secondary police officer guy, and you could tell that he wasn't a professional actor, and he wasn't even that bad. Everybody was was solid. And what's fun about this, too, is you talked about you laughed out loud. It had those fun elements. It was even at a certain level of playfulness, including like the cartoon sound effects, like the slide whistle, like the guitar got dropped, and you hear the pew, all while maintaining its integrity. Do you have a synopsis for us? Oh, shit. No. I, I've got one if you want one. Do you want one? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I could not find a lot of information on this movie. I mean, I tried to scatter the internet and it just couldn't find a budget, couldn't find if it made any money. I mean, I know the DVD's out of print. They put it out in 2005 and it's out of print. Unfortunately, this is this is that rare movie that just not a lot of people have heard of. It was a one-time effort by Rufus Butler Setter or Sedir, S-E-D-E-R. I mean, he wrote it, directed, acted, edited. He was, you know, very, this was a very indie film. And I mean, this is one of those that's never went any further than DVD. It's not on Blu-ray. 
that I would hope somebody would pick up or maybe even Troma would put out a Blu-ray so that it doesn't go away. You know that since it's here covered now on the I Like a Spooky Horror podcast that it's an instant classic. So here pretty soon, it'll be picked up by Terravision. Justin Beam will be doing some behind the scenes stuff on it. You know, something like that. Yeah, it is on a Tubi. That's where I watched it. I don't know where you watched it, but I did watch it on Tubi. It shows that it's streaming on Plex, Tubi. You can get it on Prime or you can rent it for 99 cents. And it's also on, of course, you can buy it on Amazon for on Blu-ray and DVD. The synopsis here listed on the Internet Movie Database doesn't really tell the story. It says, a detective investigating a series of murders discovers that they are similar to the slayings that occur in the new script of a Hollywood screenwriter. That synopsis to me is actually a subplot that does not not embody the whole movie. The movie is about a young up and coming screenwriter who comes to Hollywood for the first time with the intentions of writing a screenplay and making it big. He winds up becoming a janitor and living for free at this kind of off the boulevard motel housing all these very intricate and unique characters and then murders ensue. That's where the mystery is. That's a better synopsis, I guess. And they blur the lines of the whole movie, to me anyway, and maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention, but is this really happening? Is he writing this, or is it really happening? That was one of the interesting things, is as they were establishing who was who throughout the movie, it had that that level of mystery to it, because he would... he would encounter people throughout his day, right? And they would do something to trigger him. And then he'd get these crazy eyes and it would inspire him to write a scene about murdering them. And of course, in those daydream type scenes, it would be him as the murderer. But it didn't really turn into that giallo whodunit until about, well, until act three, when his screenplay got stolen and then the mat, the murders actually ensued. This is, I was looking for synopsis information, and this is from the American Genre Film Archive, and it gives a little synopsis, but the last line of the synopsis says, This bizarre send-up of 1930s and 40s thrillers takes Hollywood by the throat and strangles it with campy underground fun. That's well said. And it seems like some of the information I found there was a a director or somebody that acted in the movie that was a like an underground film director. And there was also, I think it's the main character. His name's Edgar Allen, right? Mm-hmm, yep. Was a child book artist or an artist of some kind that is more well-known for books? I didn't look into that. I just know that Rufus Butler Cedar, Cedar, that's who you're talking about. And I never, I didn't click on his bio to look at stuff, but yeah, this was, I just know this was a one-time, but actually I read that it was a one-time thing, but I see here that he also did stuff for the Steve Kittoso show, I don't know, in 2009 and East by Southwest in 1987. He doesn't have a whole lot of things to his internet movie database here, so I don't know. Yeah, it's the director, George Kachar, as a, he's an underground American film and video artist, and it seems like he's very well known. I mean, maybe we don't know who he is, but you pull him up and he's got films. He directed over 200 films and videos, a lot of short films, and in a critics poll of the 100 best films of the 20th century, appearing originally in The Village Voice in 2000, Hold Me While I'm Naked was ranked number 52. And he's got something to do with this. Oh, it's, he stars in it. I guess I'm confused then because I thought that Rufus whatever was the guy who wrote, directed, and started. So that's who wrote and directed it, but this George Kachar starred in it. I don't know who he played, though. Let me see here. 
This is a mystery we are unfolding as we are covering it. Let's see. He played Martin and Martin. Okay, so he was the landlord. Okay, the tall guy. Yep. So yeah, the so a group of and a, you can see it in the movie. It's very a very artsy movie. Do you feel like it's artsy? I mean, it's but at the same time, it's not like it's very highbrow, but it's funny while while being lowbrow. Yeah, like this is one of those movies that. A group of people that sit around and sip tea and champagne and probably look at paintings and say, oh, look at that new modern wave. You know, and you're like, what the hell are you talking about? But they made this movie that people that I mean, I don't consider myself highbrow. I don't know if you do, but you like people that sit around and drink whiskey and watch football and, you know, enjoy haunted houses can watch at the same time. Be like, that was really fun. I, so I don't think it was necessarily artsy. I just think that it wasn't established shots of real environments. You know, they, they shot this in Boston, but it felt like you were in Hollywood. I've been there. I've experienced it back in 2003. And the movie makes me feel like I felt like when I was there. Again, it was shot in black and white, but the, the backgrounds are, like I say, these static kind of blue screens. And then it this is where it got theatrical, where you'd have the Hollywood sign and and stars, and then you'd have these searchlight beams dancing back and forth. But all it was was like a, a background that you would see in a high school play. So I don't think it was necessarily artsy, but it just wasn't actual on the head. It was kind of just their interpretation or representation of where they were at. Yeah, and at one point, the police are knocking on the door, a door, and you could tell like the door is not like a solid door. It was almost like a, a stage play. It was built by a bunch of teenagers or college kids. But it was supposed to. That's the thing. This movie's magical because all of those elements are supposed to be. It just all works so well. Good Lord. Don't listen to us babble. Turn us off right now. Go watch this fucking movie. Get on Tubi, watch Scream play, and then send us a message at ilikeitspookypod at gmail.com and tell us what you think. If you don't love it, then don't tell me because I love this movie to death and I don't want to hear anything negative about it. And again, this is a first time watch for me. This is totally, other than being trauma, this is totally off my radar. And even if I went across it, I'd be like, oh, that's a weird trauma kind of looking thing. I'd probably skip over it and go to something else that was trauma that looked more sleazy. And it's black and white. That co- I was waiting for it to go into color the whole movie. Or maybe, you know, the first five minutes. I'm like, oh, the first five minutes is going to be in black and white. And then he's going to get to Hollywood and it's going to be color. And I waited for it to change and it never did. Oh, I was going to say, it's one of those movies that I think if it wasn't in black and white, the black and white helped maintain the integrity of the film. Very much a character in the film. I mean, it needed to be in black and white. So we're talking about kind of the visual aesthetics and kind of bouncing around here. But one thing that really made this movie solid also were the main players. The main players that they include, like an, an eccentric aging actress, the innocent young starlet, uh, an opportunistic kind of Weasley wannabe producer type, the no-nonsense landlord, a boisterous burnout new age kind of hippie rock star prophet type guy. Of course, our lead, who was like the new to town, passionate artistic screenwriter. And then you have your um, supporting cast, which which are great too. the hippie rock star prophet guy in particular. When we were going to record this episode, Brian got a hold of me and he's like, what do you think we should cover? And he threw a couple movies out at me. And The Crow was one of the movies he listed, which we will do someday. That's my, my all time favorite movie. What's interesting is The Crow has a tie into this movie. The hippie rock star, he's playing guitar a couple different times throughout the movie. And the, the riffs that he's playing, it's Eric Draven's theme song from The Crow.
I don't know if this movie like inspired James O'Barr, who wrote the original graphic novel, The Crow, and then that's how it got in, into the movie. But I had never heard those riffs before The Crow until I saw this movie. And the, the other movie that we were going to cover, I watched, and you know that movie, and I was like, I feel bad not saving this movie for a later date to share with somebody else. So I replied, I said, well, hey, Brian, do you want to do something really wonky? And he's like, what's that? And I was like, let's fucking do screenplay. And he was like, all right, I'm in. Hopefully you uh, hopefully you enjoyed enjoyed the choice. Yeah, I watch it again. I It's definitely one of those that I will watch again and I will show people. That's probably more important than anything is if we cover a film, if anybody covers a film or if you watch a film and you enjoy it, it's one thing. But if it's Something that you're like, I have to show other people this. That's probably the true testament of any movie is if you enjoy it enough that you want to show other people the movie. And this is definitely something that I will show other people and tell other people about and just sit back with them if I'm you know, lucky enough to watch it with them and enjoy and then talk about it after you're done. An interesting point about that is I was talking with someone who, this is a second watch for me. I was talking with someone just yesterday before this recording and said, yeah, this is the movie we're covering. And they were like, oh, that's that one with the blah, 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 and the blah, 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 and where it's black and white and the killer and the script and all that. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, I thought you hated that movie. And they were like, no, it wasn't my favorite movie, but I remember it. So, you know, here's a person who didn't necessarily care for the movie, but it stuck with them. It resonated with them. And it's not even their type of movie. You know what I mean? By any means. This Edgar Allen, he gets to Hollywood. He's writing script to become a scriptwriter, a screenwriter for a horror murder movie. The first thing that caught me was he goes to the first place he stops is a diner. And he gets a cup of coffee and it's a dollar and he's mad because it's a dollar. Well, it's a dollar minimum. So he has to get a piece of pie because if he's going to be charged a dollar, he might as well get pie too. But this lady, the waitress is cutting these pies with this big circular pie cutting thing. She's not even cutting the damn pies. Just smooshing them. She's just like slamming it down on them. I was like, you're not even cutting these pies. You're not even. <laughs> and that was a lot. That's fun too. Some of the aesthetics of her smashing those pies was just kind of a cool shot. A lot of those shots throughout the movie were maybe had nothing to do with the movie or they were foreshadowing something later on, but they're just cool shots. And you can tell the people that filmed this knew what they were doing. And cared about what they were doing. They know how to film a film and make it look great. And I think another reason I love this project too is this off the beaten path movie, not only was I think a relatable, real experience for the people involved, I also feel that they knew they weren't going to make any money off this, but they were like, fuck you, we're going to make a movie that we want to make, that we want to see. And it tied in all that you could see all the influences. Some of them were blatant in your face, like the Boris Karloff and the Peter Lorre and the Bela Lugosi star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. He was at the movies and Nosferatu was on the screen. So they really made you look at some of their influences. But a lot of them were just kind of subtle and woven in. Like, it seems like every movie anymore, we talk about Giallo, but it had those strong whodunit Giallo moments throughout. And then, like I say, the it really didn't take shape. They were present before 
But then once his script got stolen in the beginning of Act 3 and the murders started to happen just like were in his script, it turned and they had the black glove and the who is it and everything, but it was still entertaining. It still maintained its its path and its integrity. And then what a clever twist. I mean, again, this is a second watch for me and I love this movie and I completely forgot who the killer actually was. I thought it's the landlord, it's the landlord, it's the landlord. And then that twist and I'm like, how did I forget that? Should we do a spoiler oh let's save it for closer to then there's a hell of a twist at the end and it it makes sense it's clever it's fun go watch this movie you have to we get introduced to these characters that are gonna slowly be murdered off the first person is the landlord he meets a landlord he needs a place to stay gives him a place as long as he's the janitor well yeah because the the uh the landlord kills the uh the roller skating queen who's trying to stick him up and shoot him so they so he gets a place to live and the first thing he has to do is fix the older scarlet's faucet and that his first job after he gets there yeah he has to go to the aging actress to her room and fix her leaky bathtub so uh she pushes him in the bathtub she sits on top of him some kind of sexual stuff happens you don't really see anything but the best part of that whole interaction and i can't remember if this was before the bathtub or after the bathtub she's like and these titties these titties used you know people in hollywood used to drool over them i slept with this guy and that guy and this guy and i slept with karloff and he's like you slept with karloff yeah, she says, I fucked Karloff. He was like, you fucked Karloff? And he's all like excited about it. Like, oh my God, tell me about you fucking Karloff. This is amazing. You know, and she makes out with her dog. But that was the best part of that whole interaction was him being excited that she fucked some famous guy. <laughs> and then who do we meet next? Do we meet? I don't remember the order. I just know everything was natural. You know, after that, you meet, of course, the the young innocent starlet who is dating the Hollywood Hollywood heartthrob. You know, the current big thing in Hollywood. And she's trying to be a seagull. Yeah. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> that was something, too, is is Edgar Allen's character was like the virtuous one. Everybody else there was kind of lost in the world. You know what I mean? And he shows up and he was like, he, he talked to her. He was like, no, you need to tap into your pain and your anger and your passion to be good, to be good at anything you want to do. And there was kind of a message there about you need to embrace your humanity and stop putting up walls and just accept things. If you want to break through and do something you really want to do, which, you know, kind of like in living color message, there was a message in there. So we made her, then we meet the, the hippie guy, the rock star, whatever. And then the sleazy, he's trying to steal Edgar's work as I feel like what he's trying to do the whole movie. Um, and then we meet Lloyd Kaufman. It's, it's not really Lloyd Kaufman, but it kind of reminds me of that character the guy that was the producer that his brother was famous and I didn't even make that connection, but yeah, it does kind of remind me of Lloyd Kaufman. Yeah. He's always like on the phone trying to no, Yes. No. Kind of gave me that feel like that could be Lloyd Kaufman back in that time. What was his name? His last name was Wiener and his first name was, uh, I can't, I can't remember now. Yeah. I can't remember now either. Yeah. He even had the bow tie and everything. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. But uh, the main character remind me of Crispin Glover almost. Did you get those kind of feels from him? A little bit. Crispin Glover, I think, has always been a little more eccentric, but I, I could see that. And we just watched Back to the Future, so maybe it was that. But even like a Johnny Depp and Wonka, the Willy Wonka movie, kind of like that feels to it. And I don't know. I don't. Has he been in anything else? That main character. When I was looking at the Internet Movie Database, there were two other things listed and both of them. I have no idea what they were. Just kind of a, an eccentric, kind of an odd character. 
but I mean, he's supposed to be that. At the same time, he was the most most down to earth character. So yeah, just a fun film, and not really much to. You can't really say much to spoil the movie. Other, other than that, other than that twist ending, which it is a twist because you are certain at the end of the movie, you're like, "That's the killer." It totally makes sense, and then all of a sudden, it flips on you, and you're like, "Whoa, shit!" And then you even you even get the explanation, and the explanation makes sense. And we'll spoil or alert this. Throughout the movie, they make the landlord sleazy as all get out. When her boyfriend rides his motorcycle into the side of a moving semi. And dies. He grabs her. Visual, he splats and you see the blood go everywhere. (laughs) The landlord grabs her and I was like, it's okay. But then he's grabbing her boobs. Like he moves his hands around, goes, sees, you know, so you get this like sleazy, I'm taking advantage of people. The whole movie that sets him up to be the killer. And then you get the twist. This is the only clue since we decided we're not going to live time decided not that we're not going to get the spoiler. I will give you a clue because my favorite line of the whole movie is the very last line. Edgar gets into the car with his finished screenplay with Mr. Wiener and they're driving to Mr. Wiener's brother's allied pictures to sell the screenplay. And they're talking about everything that had transpired. And Mr. Wiener says, who would want to kill a kid like you? And Edgar replies, Hollywood. (laughs) Did you catch that? I can't say any more because I'll be spoiling it. It was so fucking clever because it was obviously a metaphor, but it was real. And they put those clever lines like uh, when he's like, I got the script. And he's like, well, I said I wanted blood, but not that much blood. Because it was covered in blood, literally. I think at one point he also says something along the lines of a little sex and a lot of violence. This is perfect about the script, you know, like, and that, I mean, that's the movie. That's not even the movie though. I mean, there's some violence, but not a lot. It was a little meta in that, in that aspect where, yeah, there was a little sex. You do get um, a little uh, flesh. There's a few boob shots, nothing really gratuitous or anything. And it's all kind of washed out because of the black and white. There was quite a bit of violence. I don't think it comes across as violence because it was all done in this very kind of whimsical Three Stooges type way. But there was the dead dog getting tossed in the bathtub, the the queen's neck getting spun around and broken, you know, the hammers to the heads, the hand coming up from the garbage disposal. There was actually a lot of blood and guts, but it just didn't seem like it because it wasn't gratuitous. Yeah, I go back again to the thought of you could take this to Knox College by me, which is a liberal arts college. It's one of the top 100 liberal arts colleges in the world every year. It's on the list and show this to a film class and say, this is how you make a movie. Or you could take it to Troma Dance and show it and probably get a fucking standing ovation. Totally different audiences, but you're going to get the same thing out of the movie i agree completely brian this film it it speaks to a very mass audience because it is educational it is intellectual it is fun it is highbrow it is lowbrow it is artsy it is not it's everything this movie is everything i love this fucking movie then you'd probably show it to a bunch of people at the drive-in and they'd be like what the fuck is this trash well i don't (laughs) think so because like i say you know the the person i was talking about this isn't really necessarily a film buff and this isn't necessarily in their wheelhouse and it stuck with them they were like oh that movie i didn't hate that movie you know what i mean so it even spoke to someone who was kind of removed from that from that film circle or whatever but to a degree the flick does seem inspired by a racer head it kind of had that visual tone but a racer head was very kind of surreal and over the top 
But I cannot help but think that this, like I said earlier, this project influenced things like Clerks or even like uh, Get Shorty. I could see how the filmmakers of those movies were fans of this movie. At screenplay, it exists in a category of my own, along with movies like Get Shorty, Sunset Boulevard, Swingers, Swimming with Sharks. And it's all about that romance of going to Hollywood and making it. There's a handful of movies that just, at least for me, kind of bring up that feeling of when I went in 2003. I think I'll stay here. Anymore, I would. But up until about the time I went, it was still a magical place. And that's what's kind of funny, too, is this was an indie film about making it in Hollywood picked up by trauma, right? <laughs> anti Hollywood as you get, maybe not anti Hollywood, but maybe Hollywood's anti trauma. I mean, maybe that's more of a, I don't know because we had, it's like when we talked about an indie spotlight, I think when we covered Darius, but we were talking about um, with Leah that when Hollywood has no ideas, they look to pillage from the indie world. Yeah. That's when we covered a uh, three companies a piece. Is that what it was? Yeah, we were talking about Walmart, you know, stealing an idea from an independent company. Now I want to watch this movie again. You know, what's interesting, too, is that there are choices here, because in my mind, this movie fits better with for Indie Spotlight. But the movie that you chose for us to cover on Indie Spotlight, although it's independent, I think fits better on a more mainstream main show, which we're not really mainstream, but you know what I'm getting at. Everything. Everything got flip-flopped, you know? It, it kind of, like, strengthens your point is this film, in particular screenplay, it, it it speaks to a wide audience. How about a rating? Do you want to... Should we rate it? It's so good, I don't want to give too much of it away. I want people to go watch it. So I started at a 7 after I watched it last night, and I kind of sat on it for a little bit and thought about it this morning, and we've talked about it. And I know we don't do halves usually, but I'm going to push it to an 8.5 out of 10 murder movie scripts because at one point they're trying to find out who the killer is and they're like we think you did it and the landlord's like he didn't do it and then his the young scarlet you know actress says starlet he writes movies he was with me all night he couldn't have done it and uh, the cop says what kind of movies does he write murder movies movie scripts (laughs) then they're like shit right she's like oops so you're going with what eight and a half just just based off that dialogue exchange yeah, that pushed it up that much. Yeah, because I I just caught myself a couple times, just laughing out loud, and I don't know that I should have been. I don't know if that was their intent. I don't feel like it was, but maybe it was, and they even and that made me not feel like it was was their intent. Maybe they didn't intend it to be funny, but it is. Yeah, it just God, I don't. I need to watch it again. Yes, you do. Eight and a half, ten, ten. 10 Hollywood Walk of Fame stars out of 10. This is one of those movies. This is only the second watch me, and I enjoyed it even more this time. And it blew me away that I got to relive that twist ending all over again, uh, which is insane because the the last line of the movie, which is your clue, is fantastic. And I remember that line going into the movie, but I forgot about the twist. I don't know how. So I got to relive that all over again. It's a great story. It's well acted. It's well paced. It's clever. Uh, it just instantly connects with me with that romance with Hollywood part of my life, even though this was shot in Boston, they were able to recreate that. I have been there. I wasn't at that set. I stayed at that hotel. You know, this was a set built in Boston, but I stayed at that hotel when I was in Hollywood. Those people were there. That pool was there. The open open area of everything was there. The little kind of crampy rooms, like they hit it on the head. And that's why I think it came from a very real place 
whether the writer, the director, the actor, whoever influenced it, I feel like them and I kind of took the same journey with a screenplay that we wrote to Hollywood and experienced the same things. And we're talking about a time lapse of 1984 when I went in 2003. So it just, it has a personal thing for me, but it's just, it's a great fucking movie. And like you say, it speaks to a wide audience, 10 out of 10 all day. Yeah. Now that I'm sitting here kind of thinking about it more, it's, you know, Lloyd Kaufman and it brings John Waters into my brain and, uh, Oh God, who's the other guy that the Ed Wood mm, it had some Ed Wood elements. Yeah. All these people that are passionate. I don't feel like any of those people do movies because they want to be famous and billionaires. And they, all of those people have a certain amount of passion that keeps them going. We all want to be successful. Don't get me wrong. We all want to win. You know, we all want to make money and, you know, have some fame in anything we do. We want to be successful, but I don't feel like if those guys didn't have passion, they wouldn't be doing these kind of things. And that's, I mean, in this movie, the, it's passion that keeps him going. Or san- insanity. I mean, maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe we all have that. You're right. And it even it even states that in the movie, because at the very end of the movie, he was so fed up. Edgar Allen was so fed up with everything that had happened. He was like, fuck this. I'm taking my screenplay. I'm going back home. Until Albert Wiener, that was his name, Albert. Albert Wiener, his agent, was like, they want to give you $100,000 for his picture. And he's like, $100,000? Okay, and he gets in the car and let's go. You know what I mean? So I agree. We all want money, but I think the legacy most of us want to leave behind is, hey, do you remember that show those guys did? Hey, do you remember that haunted house that guy did? Hey, do you remember that that one person that donated time to this one place and you know helped people out? Like that's all we really want. Well, don't forget ninety thousand because I take my ten percent. That's right. <laughs> hey, so quick side note has nothing to do with the movie. You watch this on Tubi, right? Did you, do you watch the commercials when you're watching this on Tubi, or do you go away? No, I I sat through the whole movie. Did you see the commercial? And maybe it was specific to my area, because again, you're in Illinois, I'm in Michigan. Something about the lotto, and they pulled the kid out of the well after he'd been in there for 49 years. Mm-mm. Yeah, maybe it was just for my area. All I know is it was something about something about the lotto, and it was comical, but it was like it's like saving the kid who fell in the well 49 years later, and they pulled this this old man up with this long white beard, and he's clothes are all short and falling off him because he fell in there when he was nine. And all I could think about was when we covered Silent Rage and Josh Perlmutter of Bootleg as Fuck Toys was telling us about the people who were raising the money to really get the killer out of the fucking well. <laughs> Go back and listen to Silent Rage if you want to know what I'm talking about. No, I can't. I feel like a lot of my commercials were AARP, you know, stuff along those lines. I guess I didn't pay too close of attention to him. I was I was there, but I wasn't present for that part. I was waiting for the movie to come back. Wow. Your TV knows that you're old. It still thinks I'm young. So I want to know what's going on. But before I ask you what the fuck is going on, I want to stress a point. And we've been pushing kind of an agenda lately on the show, I think, to say it one way. And that is save physical media. And this is one of those examples. This is a great movie. Go right now and watch it on Tubi or Plex or wherever else you could watch it. If you don't hop on Amazon or anywhere you can and buy a copy of this movie, this is one of those movies that will eventually, unfortunately, go away and never be heard from ever again. This is one of those that you need to own to be able to share and pass down. And it's only on DVD. So let's hope somebody grabs it and puts it on Blu-ray. Not that it would make a difference, but that's, you know, the next step in physical media. Right now we're on Blu-ray. So let's keep it on Blu-ray so that it doesn't go away, able to be passed down. I swear I saw Blu-ray on Amazon. Must be a bootleg. I think it's only on DVD. And that's out of print. Brian, you know someone who actually probably has a physical copy of this to hold on and preserve for the masses? Who's that? Our podcast network. 
the PFPN. So let's hear from them. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. So now that we've heard from our podcast network, it's time for this day in horror history. I thought it was just going to be, I thought it was just going to be horror history because it's not this day. You go before and after this day, this day, every day, all day, any day. People don't hear this day until two weeks from now. Just horror history. Yeah. But how do I segue into the thing? Uh, you do it. It is the history <laughs> of horror. Oh, that's even better. History of horror. I like that. I got it. I'll record a thing where it's all deep and echoey and like lightning bolts and <laughs> thunderclaps in the background. Yeah, I got you. A date which will live in infamy. So on June 29th, in 1965, we get Children of the Damned. Never, I don't know. You ever seen it? Eh. A little bit of the original. I watched the entire remake. Eh. In uh, 1989, we get Sorority Babes and the Slime Bolo Rama. That was 89? I thought it was earlier than that. I thought so, too. And then in uh, 1993, a, de- a movie we definitely need to cover at some point. Matinee. Matinee with John Goodman Matinee. Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Good. Yes. You are correct. I love that movie. And then uh, January 30th in 1991, we get Silence of the Lambs. And in 1998, we get Deep Rising. Isn't it weird that Slime Bowl Rama was 89 and Silence of the Lambs was 91? Doesn't it seem like there's 20 years between those two movies? It does. Slime Bowl Rama's got to be, that's got to be when it was released and it was made like three years earlier because that's like an 85, 86 kind of era movie. February 1st, we get Faster Pussycat Kill Kill in 1965. That's got to be the best title of any movie that we're going to talk about on this episode. Then in 1977, we get Suspiria. In 1991, another movie that we should cover eventually, Popcorn. I like Popcorn. Solid late 80s, early 90s flick. Popcorn was one of those great movies. It was a sleeper, but it kind of carried the torch for horror when it was going through that transition period. And then in 2001, we get Valentine. And then uh, February 2nd, we get A Clockwork Orange. I don't know what year that came out, but... That was 74, 5, 6, somewhere around there. Maybe 77, maybe 78. But I, I, I kind of stumbled on that late in the looking into the history. And I was like, oh, I got to put that on there. I've never seen the damn movie, but it's everywhere. You've never seen Clockwork Orange? No. I honestly don't know if you'd enjoy it, Brian. I think you would. You have to watch it because I'm curious what you would think. I don't know if you'd enjoy that or not. It'd be something like say I've seen it now. Nothing too exciting this episode. Kind of a, a lull time in horror movies early in the year. I feel like people are gearing up for summer blockbusters and all that. Kind of like a, this year we've got, what, Night Swim so far this year. And it's people are like, don't waste your time or money on this. 
I was going to say, your history of horror this episode kind of reminds me of our last episode when Jason was on and we covered a look ahead into what's coming out in 2024. And that is just kind of like, meh. Yeah. I mean, it's Suspiria. I mean, that's a good film. But yeah, there's nothing like, ooh, ooh, ooh. But early in the year, so... Mark my words, I and I don't, I don't think I said this in the last episode, but I've been thinking about it. And I think 2024 is going to be more of the year in general for everybody of experiences as opposed to film, if that makes any sense. Things like things like what you've been talking about, about um, the last uh, picture house. People, I think, are clamoring for that experience. They want to go there. They want to be around like-minded people and have that experience. I see more things like that or stuff that I'm building out to the Nugget and Stagecoach. I just foresee more experiences. And there's just nothing exciting about the movies. Where two years ago, it was black phone, black phone, black phone. Yeah, Jack and I went to the last picture house. He was here for a couple days to visit. And uh, we went and seen The Boy and the Heron. It's beautiful. And it sounds great. And we get through the movie and we look at each other and I'm like, what'd you think of that? And he's like, what the fuck was it about? And I was like, (laughs) I don't fucking know. And it was even in English. I mean, it's a Japanese film, but it's one of those Studio Ghibli films that has an underlying horror element like Spirited Away or Howl's Moving Castle. So it's got some horror stuff in it with. But I was like, I have no fucking clue what that was about. And he didn't either. We don't know what the fuck's going on. Do you know what the fuck's going on? I have no clue what the fuck is going on. So I don't have anything going on. Do you have anything going on? Movies. Watching movies. I told you, I don't know what the fuck's going on. I can't be any more clear than that, Brian. I don't know. I don't know. Damn it. Nothing? I'll give you a bone. I'll throw you something. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, good. Nothing new from what I've been talking about, but I've uh, been plugging away at the Nugget, working on psychotherapy, as it shall be called. It's kind of real time now. Up until now, we've just kind of been cleaning and painting and figuring out paint schemes and really putting it all, putting the puzzle all together. It's go time. It's about to get fucking real there. We're about to invest some money into there. We're about to start building some things with inside there. It's going down. So it's kind of shifting into the next gear with that. And that's about it. That's where I'm going to be spending a lot of my time the rest of this winter. Also, convention season, horror convention season is coming up. You're starting to see a lot of cons promote, uh, start to tease stars and celebrities that they're going to have. So for me personally, I'm going to scale back because of my involvement with everything that I'm doing out there and my attempt at a more, I say work life, this isn't work for me, but more work life balance. I am going to be scaling back. I said that last year and then I went gun ho, but that was financial reasons. This is more of a, uh, an internal thing. So, but yeah, so I got to be booking some, uh, my shows here pretty soon. Going to be hitting up nightmares, going to be hitting up flashback, going to be hitting up Scarefest a thousand percent. A couple others that I want to toss in there. I'll be going to Hearst Fest for sure. So I got to find some time to, Book all my 2024 convention shows. Hell, this time next year, we might be promoting a convention or something along those lines in your area. Absolutely. That is on the agenda. It is on the plan. It is in the works. Snake Alley Festival film is taking movies already. So a film festival that I go to every year in Burlington or I've went to the last couple of years is accepting short films. So you can check them out. And if you have a short film you want to share with the world, 
can submit it to Snake Alley Festival of Film in Burlington, Iowa. One thing is important, like Brian's talking about or I'm talking about with the shows or things you want to do, is there's no rest for the wicked. And there are things constantly happening and changing and evolving. And don't sleep. We all just want to hibernate right now. I just want to go to bed right now after this recording. But I can't because I'm meeting our friends Brian and Kristen Hoover. Uh, they're going to meet me out to the Nugget, and I'm going to show them around, and we're going to see about commissioning them for some murals and some other artwork that's going to exist in that building. I'm really excited for that because he is such an amazing artist. There is no time for hibernation. Don't sleep. Start making your plans. Figure things out. Don't miss out on all the great stuff that is coming up because this is the year of the experience. Mark my words. Should be a good year. It can't be worse than last year, can it? Fuck. No. Well, it's possible. If anything, if you want to go to sleep and you need something to listen to, you can check out the I Like It Spooky Horror Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You like and subscribe. We lull you to sleep. Mm-hmm. We are like a lullaby. We're like the children's bedtime story for horror adults. Just listen to <laughs> us and relax. Then you'll never miss an episode, and you can be talked to sleep every night by our soothing voices. You can check us out on Instagram and Threads and X and TikTok and Facebook and what else? YouTube and, yeah, everywhere. We're everywhere. You get your news and your Michigan happenings and your crack on Redbox streaming movies and feature length episodes and everything. Don't forget about Indie Spotlight. Yeah, Indie Spotlight. I did. There's so much I forgot. More work-life balance, but we're going to keep bringing you free content because that's what we do. Free. I'm just lulling people to sleep. Go ahead. Wrap it up. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what? Take care and have a good 2024. Bye-bye. Till next time. Hey, what's wrong with you, man? Show some fucking respect for the dead, will you?